0: This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the impacts on Illinois from the $1.9 trillion federal spending plan, the status of COVID-19 mitigation in Illinois, and more. We'll also get commentary from The Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the federal COVID bill and the state's finances, taxes, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
1: Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com, thecentersquare.com. This is
0: Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois now has the dubious honor of having the highest taxes in the United States. Kevin Bessler has details.
2: WalletHub study shows Illinois with the highest overall effective state and local taxes and the second highest real estate taxes in the country. But analyst Jill Gonzalez says Illinois' gas taxes have catapulted the state to the top of the tax rankings. I think so, because now Illinois has the third highest gas tax in the country, and that's five times higher in Arizona or New Mexico or Mississippi. Bryce Hill, senior research analyst with Illinois Policy, expects more Illinoisans to move out of the state because of poor labor and housing market outcomes.
0: The largest thing affecting those outcomes are the state's high tax burden and unfriendly business environment that make it difficult for people and businesses to move or invest in Illinois.
2: This year, just over 38 cents in taxes is added per gallon of gasoline in Illinois, which is over forty-one percent greater than the national average. I'm Kevin Bessler. Despite being
0: the highest tax state in the nation, financially strapped Illinois set to get tens of billions of dollars in federal tax dollars from the $1.9 trillion spending bill that passed the U.S. House Wednesday. Illinois' Democratic leaders praised the passage of the bill. Illinois' state budget set to get $7.5 billion. Comptroller Susanna Mendoza said $3 billion of that will pay down short-term borrowing the state took on. During an Illinois House hearing Wednesday, Governor J.B. Pritzker's budget director, Alexis Sturm, said that they'll be evaluating how to spend the money, but some of it would be for infrastructure.
2: They do mention water, sewer, and broadband specifically. So those do align with some of the projects that um, that we have appropriations for in our budget.
0: Taylorville Republican U.S. Representative Rodney Davis voted against the bill. He said the federal dollars in the state's budget has few restrictions and will encourage the governor and state house Democrats to quote again kick the can on tough budget decisions that need to be made to address the state's longstanding fiscal problems. The Illinois Fuel and Retail Association praised the bill as a win for businesses that have been impacted by the pandemic, but CEO. Josh Sharp said in a statement that it should give the governor reason to abandon $930 million in tax increases through incentive programs the governor proposed closing in his budget. Illinois Restaurant Association President Sam Toya praised passage of the bill that frees up $28.6 billion in grants for restaurants across the country. We have a long road ahead to recovery as 124,000 food service jobs in Illinois were lost between March and December 2020. And 20% of our restaurants may still be unable to make it. For the past year, restaurants have been either prohibited from indoor dining or severely limited by Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID-19 rules. The federal spending plan was signed into law by President Joe Biden Friday. The Illinois State Board of Education's made some changes to COVID-19 safety guidelines for schools. Kevin Bessler has more.
2: In a statement, the ISBE said in-person classroom instruction should be a priority over extracurricular activities, including sporting and school events to minimize the transmission of the virus at school. Governor J.B. Pritzker says it will ultimately be up to school districts to work on the details. What we've done is let the school districts themselves, look at what they have available in terms of safety within the school buildings so that they can determine how to safely bring more kids back into school. The board revised their social distancing recommendations for in-person learning, which now can be as little as three feet for students and vaccinated staff. Symptom screenings for students on school grounds is no longer recommended. I'm Kevin Bessler.
0: Illinois state lawmakers from both sides of the aisle continue to push Governor J.B. Pritzker to relax his unilateral COVID-19 restrictions. Democratic State Senator Sarah Feigenholtz wrote in Crane's Chicago Business and the governor gets high marks for managing the pandemic. But one year in, she said it's critical there's more clarity on how the state will open. Republican State Senator Terry Bryant said the governor's lack of clarity is hurting the state's businesses.
2: It's been made very clear that some of the convention uh, venues Uh, Many of the restaurants, the hotel industry, of course, they're on their last breath, and it seems to be falling on deaf ears.
0: Pritzker said phase five of his plan with no restrictions would come about with herd immunity. Bryant said there's been no clarity. He, He talks in circles. When he says
2: he's looking for herd immunity, what does that mean?
0: Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder said restrictions should be lifted to help towns like Springfield, which relies on tourism and conventions.
2: We're seeing cancellations already, and we're in competition with other states, but the impact here, I think so far, has been maybe $11 million uh, through the economy.
0: Langfelder said he'd like to see a gradual reopening. As of right now, Phase 4 of the governor's plan caps gatherings at 50 people. Bryant said the governor's lack of clarity has people moving on without him.
2: We have reasonable people who live in Illinois. If the governor of our state were reasonable, if he were transparent, if he could show people a true plan, you might not have people going off on their own.
0: The state's economy has been held back by the governor's consecutive orders over the past 12 months. Other states are opening their economies back up, while public health officials urge caution. Illinois legislative leaders are still unclear when they'll be able to start drawing lines for legislative boundaries, but they're discussing what they think is a fair map. Every 10 years, the country redraws political boundaries based on the 10-year census. While leaders agree there needs to be a fair map, the Illinois Senate President Don Harmon told the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute the goal is to ensure minority voters have their fair chance at their choice of a candidate.
2: So if we come up with a structure where more people's voices are heard, where more communities of interest are at the table, uh, the map will not only be fair, but I, I am comfortable with the outcome as a partisan matter when more people vote.
0: Senate Minority Leader Dan McConkey defined the fairness that he said as majority support among voters. Well, it's fundamental that people be able to choose their own elected representatives instead of their elected representatives choosing them through gerrymandered maps. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said he welcomes the House Speaker Chris Welch and Governor J.B. Pritzker want a fair map.
2: And both of them are... Are supporters of a uh, of something other than what we currently have, which is the victor go to the spoils. To the victor go the spoils. So, uh, I'm going to uh, hold the governor and the speaker
1: uh, to their words that they are uh, they want a fair map. Durkin said a fair map
0: isn't gerrymandered to favor a political party. Welch told the Economic Club of Chicago the fair
2: map highlights the state's diversity. Look at the Democratic caucus, for instance. Diversity is the strength of our caucus. If you look at a map and it doesn't reflect the diversity of this state. I don't know how anyone can call that a fair map.
0: Census data from the map is expected in late September, but the release timeline has already been delayed twice. Even though the governor's called for K-12 funding to remain flat for the next fiscal year, the Illinois
2: State Board of Education is asking for more. Kevin Bessler reports. The board is recommending a $406 million or 4.6% increase in general revenue funding. ISBE board chair, Darren Reisberg says, the goal is to get kids back into the classroom.
0: The federal pandemic relief funds have provided much needed resources to assist school districts with the transition back in person, but we know we still have a ways to go and that learning recovery will take a sustained effort over multiple years and require state investment.
2: During a House Education Appropriations hearing, ISBE Superintendent Carmen Ayala was asked if funding should be tied to opening classrooms. We have really worked at encouraging the in-person instruction as much as possible, but needing to recognize that every community has their uniqueness to be able to come in fully in person. The budgeting process is in the early stages and usually goes into May. I'm Kevin Bessler. And the inspector that investigates alleged
0: wrongdoing by state lawmakers doesn't want to spend nearly a million dollars a year if she doesn't have to, but she wants full funding just in case. The proposed budget for the Legislative Inspector General is $920,000. Legislative Inspector General Carol Pope said it's unlikely they'll spend that amount. It's
2: just not predictable, and we wouldn't want to be in
0: a position
2: where we didn't have the resources, if if we had an important complex investigation that we needed to conduct.
0: In the past year, Pope said the pandemic cut down on the number of investigations. Last year was also the first year the office's budget was separated from the legislative ethics commission's budget.
1: You know now, uh, I don't report to them. I do monthly
2: reconciliations with the comptroller's office, but I'm just, I'm an independent agency and I'm being treated like an independent agency now.
0: But while Pope doesn't report budget issues to the Legislative Ethics Commission, she does have to get permission to move forward with most investigations from the panel of lawmakers. If a major investigation were to arise and the office runs out of money, Pope said they'd have to return for supplemental appropriation to continue.
2: But if it's not at the right time, that's
1: right. I wouldn't have the funds to do the investigation.
0: Pope wasn't familiar with such an instance in the office's 17-year history ever happening. A recent change to the Legislative Inspector General made it independent of the Legislative Ethics Commission, which has a separate proposed budget of $312,500. Those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Chicago. Joined today by Illinois editor Brett Roland. What's up, Brett?
3: It's been a long week already, but um, I'm looking forward to this podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. It's Thursday as we tape this, so please make sure that you stay with the Center Square because the news doesn't sit still. Brett we already know that the House has passed this controversial $1.9 trillion, that's with a T, trillion-dollar relief bill, and that it made its way to uh, President uh, Biden. That's going to go through. Uh, there's no doubt about that, right? Um what does it mean? It's just uh, just look at it at the macro level first. What's it mean for the United States? What's, in, what's included in this thing?
3: It's a big spending plan with a lot of money in it, and not all of it's related to COVID. In fact, probably a fraction of it's COVID-related. It's basically just a big spending plan.
1: So Mary Miller, um, a Republican from Illinois, U.S. rep, uh, she said the COVID relief package is reckless and unnecessary. Only 9% will actually uh, be for COVID. Uh, we still have one trillion dollars unspent from the last package. National debt is nearing thirty trillion. What are we doing to future generations? She asks in her in her Twitter comment. So, what are we doing to future generations here?
3: That's a great question. I think there's going to be. We'll definitely feel this for a while um, and, and generations down the road will feel this. Um, there's going to be consequences for this, um, whether or not they're felt right away and whether or not people agree with. It's not going to be very easy to to, to to point to the effects of this afterwards, but there will be there will be debt that needs to be paid.
1: Yeah, a tremendous amount. I mean, you know, you're you're talking about you're talking about trillions of dollars being added in. We're printing money, um, you know, like uh, like it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I I fully feel like we're headed toward if we're not already seeing it in certain ways, we're headed toward uh, an an issue within with inflation. Um, the package itself uh, includes a fifteen percent increase for food stamp benefits through September. I think though that the most controversial aspect of this worth talking about, and we can lean into what this means to Illinois, is a $350 billion bailout for states, local governments, and Native American tribes. States in the District of Columbia, as per our reporting at the Center Square, will receive about 195 billion. Counties and cities would share about 130 billion. So let's bring that back to Illinois. What, uh, what does this mean for Illinois? What's going to happen here?
3: Well, what it really means is it's a short-term boost. Uh, it's going to keep Illinois on its feet for a little while, but it's not going to address any of the long-term structural issues we have here in the state. Um, so, yes, this will plug some holes. This will make uh, the balance sheets look okay going into the maybe next year or two. But, um, really, it's not fixing any of Illinois' long-term problems. We're stuck with the same problems we've always had. This is basically a Band-Aid.
1: So it's ten billion dollars that's coming uh, to Illinois, and, and what's what's your understanding on how uh, how that is going to be uh, going to be carved up here in the state?
3: So some of it is going to go directly to the state, and then a little a, a smaller amount is going to go to directly to municipalities uh, and, and, and like larger cities like Chicago. Um, but um, no matter how much money you throw, at the problem it's not really going to go away here. Um, Yes, this will definitely uh, ease the pain uh, in the short term, but uh, Illinois still has to make those structural changes if it wants to have uh, any kind of sustainable future.
1: So um, my understanding is that that it's, you know, it's seven and a half billion for state governments and actually five and a half billion for Illinois local governments. So it's really more like 13 billion dollars. I mean, what's the the, what's the discrepancy there? There's a three billion dollar gap. Between, um, you know, what's what's being reported and what's being expected, the uh, uh, because House Speaker uh, Emanuel Chris Welch is uh, is suggesting that there's maybe thirteen billion dollars in play here. Welch's number is correct. I think that should read more than okay, it's more than ten billion. Well, thirteen is absolutely more than ten. So, so you know. In that in that division uh, of this revenue that's that's coming in, you know, from federal taxpayers is one point eight billion for the city of Chicago alone. What are they planning on doing with that money?
3: So what, what we've heard so far is that officials are saying they're still evaluating their options. So this money, you know, well, it looked for, for weeks like this was going to happen now that it's finally happened um, and it looks like Biden's going to sign it. Um, I, I don't think they've fully spent this money yet, so I think they're still in the process of of crafting their spending plans based on what's coming in now. Um, I'm I'm sure the state will use some to pay back that short term debt. Um, uh, Chicago's got its own budget issues that they'll ha- that they'll have to to deal with, but right now they don't have anything solid. Uh, we We haven't heard concrete plans yet.
1: So the the state's already borrowed, um, you know, during the pandemic. So going back to you know, ultimately, ultimately to last March, we are, you know, what amounts to be at the one year anniversary of, uh, of our state being shut down. That'll actually fall, you know, early in next week. Um, we borrowed $3 billion. So we would pay that back, but not immediately
3: from what we've heard. Um, from Mendoza yesterday and, and also from, from Pritzker is, is that the, the top priority would be paying back the short, short-term loans that, that the state had already um, the state had already battled, borrowed from the federal government. So they have to pay that money back. So I think those are going to be the top priorities. But then after that, it's really not clear how this money is going to be used. It, or it hasn't been made clear yet. Um, and I think part of that is just due to the time this, you know, it, it just cleared yesterday. And and I think it's waiting by the signature.
1: So Illinois Comptroller Susanna Mendoza, who you just referenced, uh, said on social media that that she and J.B. Pritzker, our governor, agreed that the federal dollars uh, the state is expected to receive should be prioritized to pay back recently borrowed federal funds. But that wouldn't necessarily happen uh, immediately, Um, that exchange like coming in and then going right back out. Um, and it is, you know, it is. We're talking about three three billion dollars. So, um, state representative Mark Batnick, he's a Republican from Plainfield, you know, in the collar counties here uh, outside of Chicago, said that you know that was the prudent thing to do to pay it back. But he also said that that doesn't leave enough money to, to cover the backlog bills that the state has, which um, that is, you know, Susana Mendoza's uh, responsibility as comptrollers effectively to prioritize and pay bills. Uh, that backlog is five point eight billion dollars for vendor services at this point for, for for business that's already been that the state has already contracted with you know with uh, um, in, you know you know mostly with the private sector
3: yeah and and that the backlog of bills carries a fairly high, um, interest penalty too. I mean, it can be up to 12% a year, if not higher. I think it's about 1% a month.
1: So, um, both of our senators our us senators here in Illinois are Democrats. Um, majority whip Dick Durbin and, uh, our junior Senator Tammy Duckworth, both were praising, uh, this, uh, this, the passage of this bill, you know, as it made its way through the house. Um, and as I said earlier this has not yet been signed uh, by joe biden however by the time that you hear it very well may be signed um why do biden and duckworth feel like this is a good thing
3: well certainly you know states and local governments have um have budget issues uh, the covid 19 and the pandemic have 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 really hurt uh what what states were able to bring in um you could all you could also argue that the states and municipalities Sort of hurt their own revenue when they put in really uh, tight restrictions, especially in Illinois and, and places like Chicago. So those have definitely resulted in less revenue. Now, um, I, th- I think that everybody agrees that, that there should be something uh, that's done to, I guess, ease this pain, at least in the short term. But, um, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, not all of this money is going to, to fix budget holes or, or to, to, to deal with pandemic relief. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a pork barrel spending in there
1: yeah but I, I believe that the, the center square is also reported you know within the last uh, couple of weeks that there are a number of states around the country that actually have a budget surplus Illinois does not have a budget surplus Illinois has a budget deficit so I mean it's almost as if you know we're the the federal government is rewarding um, the poor fiscal management of the state of Illinois. Um, but this is exactly what, you know, Governor J.B. Pritzker was was banking on when, uh, when he put forth his
3: 21-22 budget, is it not? Yes. Um, he, he got uh, burned the year before when he proposed a budget that was based on um, sort of, you know, magical thinking around federal bailouts and then also the progressive income tax. But this looks like the money is going to come through this time. Um, But again, I think, as as we've noted here, it's, yeah, it's going to help in the short term. But really, this isn't this isn't any kind of long term fix. Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, um, there wasn't uh, much of any activity, uh, hardly any activity at all in the state legislature in January. Uh, There was almost none in February. Uh, the Illinois Senate, um, uh, came back into session, uh, this week, right on Tuesday.
3: Yes. Um, they've canceled Thursday already. Um, but they did, um, they were holding more hearings. They're certainly more active this year than they were last year. Essentially they took most of last year off except to pass a passive budget. Um, and now they're sort of getting back to the work of governing. Um, I think there's still some hoops. Of, we heard, um, a couple of weeks ago, they were they were they were just getting acquainted to using Zoom to do meetings. You know, skills that most of us learned how to how to do a year ago. The lawmakers are still sort of catching up on that, so they're just getting down to the business of governments now, governance now. They've essentially let JB run the show uh, for the last year, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I, I, there'll definitely be some hiccups here. Um, but the fact that I guess that they're doing the job that they're paid to do is, is something.
1: Senate President Don Harmon, a Democrat from Oak Park, just outside of the city limits uh, in Cook County, told the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute Monday that because voters rejected the the proposed progressive income tax uh, on higher earners in the state, and that measure uh, failed uh, miserably, that a day of reckoning is, is here. And he said, and I'll quote, the only alternative I can think of is to start cutting some of those government services to figure out what tolerance people have for giving up some of those things they assumed were always going to happen. What do you think he's talking about,
3: Brett? Uh, I think that's a lot of hot air, Chris. Um, When I see a bill with his name on it proposing cuts, then I'll start to think that maybe he's serious. But right now, I think that that that's just talk.
1: So the cuts in services, and um, just cuts cuts in general, that that was a driving force with regard to uh, Illinois' uh, budget issues over the past year. Um, as we've investigated this, you know, on an ongoing basis at the Center Square, uh, we found no cuts, no purposeful cuts within state government. Um, Governor J.B. Pritzker said many, many, many times over the past year, while he was uh, having his uh, daily COVID briefings, and then in the in the sporadic briefings that he's given since then, that he inherited a hollowed-out government. I'm not sure how many times he said that. Blamed it on former Governor Bruce Rauner, um, who, frankly, was handcuffed for for four years in the job and, and really didn't didn't. I'm not sure that Bruce Rauner hollowed out much of anything. Um, so, uh, where does this go? A, a Senate Minority Leader Dan McConkey says that the the focus should be on pushing for uh, pension reform, which is, as you know, we talk about on this show, I think, pretty much weekly. You know, is Illinois's fundamental fiscal problem. It's the it is the it is the elephant in the room, and it's a it's a big elephant. I mean, 25 cents of every dollar that Illinoisans send downstate um, winds up going to uh, pay for somebody's pension. Um, what is McConkie going to be able to do, or what is he going to attempt to do uh, from the minority position
3: uh, as the session rolls along? I think that's a great question. We're going to have to see what the Republicans are able to do um, as a as a group. They just don't have the numbers to block anything. They may be able to influence some decisions. Um, they may be able to to work on some smaller issues. But but I would I would be surprised if they were able to tackle big issues like pension reform, um, especially this year. It just doesn't seem like it's in the cards to me. Um, mm. If they pick up more seats and, and get a little more power, maybe. But right now, it really it, the Democrats are in control here.
1: Yeah. So, and, and, you know, uh, from the standpoint of borrowing, I mean, Illinois has done nothing to improve its situation. It's just a toss this factoid out. Fitch came out with its most recent, um, credit rating book and, uh, it maintained Illinois, a, a notch above junk status at BBB minus, um, which is notab- notably lower as we reported at the center square, uh, than other States. I mean, it's it's uh, my understanding is, is that it's not even close.
3: Illinois is indeed the lowest, uh, has the lowest credit rating of all the states. All right,
1: so let's. I'll tell you what we're you know we're still talking about taxes. Um, one of the one of the sort of things that's buried in the reality of um, of unemployment, you know, and certainly you know because of the mitigation uh, tech techniques and tactics that we employed, we, we forced a lot of people in the private sector out of work, forced them over uh, onto unemployment. Um, these people are, are now dealing with and, you know, we're running headlong into tax season. Um, you know, uh, business filers uh, should be filing in the next couple of days, March 15th. And then, you know, the traditional filing date, is April fifteenth. Of course, you know there are extensions available, and and there's a, a fair amount of leeway just because of what's going on with COVID at this point. But um, what's what is specifically happening with regard to um, people dealing with uh, unemployment as a portion of their income? How is that working out? I know the Center Square wrote about that this week.
3: I think that people are still definitely having trouble getting their unemployment. I think there's there's a lot of concerns away the way that the unemployment benefit system is, is working in Illinois or not working in Illinois. But, um, there has been somewhat of a silver lining at least for the state in terms of, um, taxes on those unemployment benefits have actually given the state a bit of a boost. Okay.
1: So COGFA, um, uh, revenue manager, Jim Mashinsky said when the pandemic hit, they anticipated major losses um, and and the you know the recovery. I mean, with regard to you know regard to you know revenue estimates, you know for for taxation. Um, but he had said you know, also uh, this. You know, while income taxes are down about one percent, the tax withholding from unemployment is way up. And this is a quote from Mashinsky. Remember, unemployment benefits are taxable. Okay, you can see the dramatic shift that actually is up 167% above the same period from last year. So COGFA for personal income taxes, they're estimating $23.6 billion for fiscal year 22, which is down about $458 million from the previous year. Corporate income tax is estimated at around $3.2 billion, which is down about $217 million from the previous year. Sales taxes are estimated at $9.5 billion they're actually up over the previous year by 168 million other revenues anticipated, uh, to be higher, uh, include liquor, which I think is pretty reasonable. I mean, uh, of course, you know, one of the things that was deemed essential right off the bat was, you know, grocery stores and and liquor stores stayed open as well. Um, any, 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 uh, like thoughts on sort of where the, where the puck is headed on this and how far we're really going to be, uh, off target as far as it goes with the tax estimates?
3: That's a great question too. I would have guessed that we would have been down more than we were, more than these COGFA numbers show, um, just based on my own economic activity. Um, But again, a sample size of one is just not big enough. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I just don't think that we know enough yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's something that you know. I'm, I'm
1: absolutely looking forward to the team at the Center Square continuing to pursue. You know, as we look around the country, um, Illinois is beginning to, uh, I think, you know, reopen. I'm not going to get into what phase we're in because I have to be honest with you; I have no idea uh, what phase we're in, or, or and 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 I'm not even sure that that even matters at this point. You know, there's. Uh, there's been a, a, a general uh, lack of, of understanding around what people can and can't do. And I think that that's hurt businesses, primarily ret- the restaurant industry. Um, you know, uh, when restaurants were told that they could, uh, you know, reopen it, you know, at a, a percentage, uh, occupancy percentage under, uh, under 50%, you know, I mean, if you have a 10 table restaurant, uh, and you're, you know, you're okay to reopen it 25%. I'm not sure that you're going to be able to reopen that restaurant with two tables or two and a half tables. I'm not even sure what a half table looks like. Um, but um, Governor J.B. Pritzker continues to be pressured to do more sooner to lift COVID-19 restrictions here. We've already seen around the country, you know, certainly, you know, Texas got a lot of, uh, Um, a a lot of praise from some and criticism from others for opening everything up. The uh, Texas Rangers baseball team uh, announced in the last couple of days that it fully intends to have uh, a capacity crowd uh, at its home opener when the baseball season begins uh, here in just a few weeks. Um, Mississippi followed after that. Uh, and then a bunch of other states around the country have, have lifted, in some cases, like Texas and Mississippi, completely lifted um, uh, mitigations. Where does Illinois stand? And uh, what is uh, J.B. Pritzker uh, thinking about? And again, he's under pressure to do something.
3: So he said yesterday that that his administration continues to review the data and sort of tweak um, the COVID-19 restrictions and rules as it goes. Um, we've heard that for a little while now. Um, he hasn't been super specific yet, um, so we'll kind of have to see where that goes. But, but Illinois is not going to open up like Florida. It's not going to open up like, like Texas or, or Mississippi. Uh, we could expect to have a mask mandate and and, and a number of other COVID policies uh, f- f- for the immediate future, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like summer may open up a, a bit more. Um, there were some hints the other day from uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot that, that there could be uh, outdoor festivals and gatherings. Um, but, uh, I mean, no, like things like the Air and Water Show and um, Taste of Chicago, those have not been funded. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, well, simple question here: Why is it that that you know that some states are opening up, and states like Illinois are not?
3: That's a great question. I think some of it you you can say politics is part of it. Um, certainly, uh, Texas and Mississippi are red. Illinois is pretty solidly blue. Um, JB seems to be taking a a more conservative or, or cautious approach towards reopening. Uh, but he is facing pressure, even from within his own party, to, to at least make a plan for opening up. Um, yesterday, we saw um, uh, Terry Bryant f- uh, from Murfreesboro uh, calling out the governor, saying, "Hey, we really need a plan here." Um, uh, Sarah Feigenholtz uh, in in Cranes was calling on the governor. He said, "She said he you know, did a great job, but we need sort of an action plan going forward." And I think that that's what we haven't seen from JB yet.
1: All uh, right. Elsewhere in Illinois, um, the Illinois Supreme Court is going to hear a case, and this is uh, upcoming, uh, about restoring FOID card privileges. So um, I think that anyone who has applied for a FOID card and gun sales you know, have gone up dramatically in, in the past year. Ammunition sales have gone up dramatically in the last year. In the state of Illinois, um, to, to be in a gun store and t- to touch merchandise, you literally have to have a FOID card. Um, it's a it's an additional obstructive uh, layer that the state of Illinois has had in place, I believe, since the 1960s. Um, what's going on with regard to this Illinois Supreme Court case? They're they're gonna hear oral arguments about the second amendment, uh, second amendment rights that are that are that are being Trampled upon by Floyd, but what specifically?
3: So I think that they did hear some of this um, on Wednesday, and uh, they basically said they're going to take it under advisement. But uh, the, the Supreme Court did. But this is a fairly narrow case about restoring rights to people um, who have been denied mm-hmm. uh, a Floyd card. So this because of COVID,
1: the backlog. I mean, there are people that can't get a Floyd card. Who are applying, you know, through the state system—the uh, system that the state mandates—people are going through this process, trying to be good citizens, adhering to to the state's uh, additional standard, can't get a void card, right? right? I mean, that's the that's the nexus of this,
3: right? And I don't think that this case will address those bigger issues with the with the state's void card process. Um, there are separate lawsuits out there. Um, that could uh, force the issue on some of that but this one won't do that um th- this is more about restoring rights to people who have who have been denied cards uh-huh. um rather than just denied by um bureaucracy or red tape but but have actually been like said no okay okay so th- this uh, this is given the narrowness of this case i i don't think we're going to see this crack wide open um but there are other suits out there that could do that. Um, So, so we'll have to see. Uh, I do think that there's going to, that the, the FOID card issue, specifically the backlog um, is going to come to a boiling point at some point, because I I just don't think that that can grow much longer and still be considered uh, even partially workable.
1: Mm -hmm. So when I applied for my FOID card, which was, you know, well before the, uh, the pandemic um, I believe that my wait time was about, Uh, About 30 days. It's about a month. We're seeing people waiting uh, 13 or 14 months to get their FOID cards now. So you have people that potentially applied for their FOID cards, say, last January or February. Went through the entire, you know, um, unknown of, uh, of society during COVID. And there was a lot of weird behavior in COVID. I mean, murder rate in Chicago spiked. Gun crime in Chicago spiked. Um, it's an unsettling period of time. The state of Illinois has has effectively prevented um, a significant number of people from uh, being able to exercise their Second Amendment right,
3: and that really doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Um, not not just um, people that already own guns, but I th- think think uh, you know citizens who, who maybe just wanted to protect privacy or or wanted an extra um, layer of safety. I think that that was frustrating for them. I know that lawmakers, uh, especially lawmakers downstate, have uh, been fielding complaints about this f- for years, um, and and it, th- those complaints only grew louder during COVID. Uh, so I think this is, Illinois is going to have to f- figure out a way forward with this. Um, you know, they can keep ignoring it for a while, uh, uh, but the lawsuits are stacking up. I think the pressure is mounting. There's got to be a, a better way to, to to get to either clear through some of the administrative red tape make sure it's safely and effectively done or, uh, you know, some people really want to do away with the, the Foid card law in it entirely.
1: Well, I mean, it's just simple, you know, just simple math, like more applications than people to process them. Or is, is, is this worth exploring, you know, in a different way? I mean, is, or, are, are the, are the, or, are, are, are do you think that the, the state is purposefully slowing down the process by which people, can get access to a void card, thereby keeping, you know, um, their ability to acquire,
3: uh, a, a gun and ammunition, um, for some other reason. That's interesting. I, I mean, I think a 13 month cooling off period would be excessive. Um, or, or, um, but, but I mean, I can see why people would think that the, the process is, is so, um, so bog, bogged down right now that, that nothing's moving very fast at all. And, and it's part of it. Yes. Is the numbers, the numbers have gone up uh, a lot and, and that puts additional strain on the system, but the system wasn't that smooth to begin with. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were problems with the system. I, uh, and, and this to some extent permeates Illinois government where, where things weren't that great before the pandemic that the government didn't move uh, swiftly or, um, or, or adapt quickly to changes. Um, And we've seen that time and time and time again in Illinois. And now you're seeing like an already somewhat uh, broken system is really being uh, pushed to the brink. Mm -hmm.
1: Let me just uh, let me just uh, catch you up on something real quick. This is uh, um, from the Constitution of the United States. Let me catch you up on something, Brett. This is the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's what it says. It's the Constitution of the United States. I I agree with you. I think that Illinois has
3: flouted it for a long time.
1: A 13 or um, 14-month obstacle course to be able to to be a gun owner. Um,
3: Yeah, I think the best-case scenario is around 70 days. So something's got to give.
1: Yeah, I, in, my, in my view, it's 70 days too long. I accept the idea um, simply because, uh, you know, 30 days for for a background check, if the state wants to do that, it wants to take that long, I don't have a problem with that to ensure that guns get to the right people. Um, 30 days and 13 or 14 months, they're, they're very different periods of time. You're um, literally talking about 10 times plus the amount of time. That 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 you know that that would norm, that would normally be required, and I think that speaks to uh, an inefficient and ineffective uh, government. So, speaking of inefficient and ineffective government, so uh, we we have a a, a a holiday coming up. I wouldn't necessarily call it uh, you know like a, a like a holiday like we're going to take time off or we're going to you know, you're going to get a day off. So, Brad I'd like to just apologize now that you, there will be no day off. Um, it's Sunshine Week. Uh, it starts on March 14th, and it runs through the 20th. And that's a, a national initiative um, that uh, that started uh, back in 2005 by the American Society of News Editors, uh, which is now called the News Leaders Association, uh, with funding from uh, the Knight Foundation, to educate the public about the, the importance of of open government and the dangers of excessive and unnecessary secrecy in the public sector. It's disappointing to me that we have to have a Sunshine Week. It's disappointing to me that we have to petition the public's attention around the, around this issue. Uh, I'm not disappointed in the public. I'm disappointed in the gatekeepers that... Hide, conceal, redact information from the public that the public pays for. So, you know, a, a Freedom of Information Act request, or, you know, as we call them, a FOIA request, is a query that we would make to a governmental agency or a governmental body. Um, important to note that the Illinois legislature, somehow, someway, is exempt. From Foyer, which is crazy, and 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 I think it's important to note that the Illinois legislature created that exemption for themselves. Um, but nonetheless, it is disappointing to me that we have to ask for information to be made available to us. That it's not all public record. That all documents that the city and the county and the state, you know, around. Not just Illinois, but around the United States, that the cities, the counties, and the states. And in Illinois, you know, we only have like I don't know what seven thousand plus you know units of government. Um, So I'm talking about schools. I'd be talking about fire departments. I'd be talking about police departments. I'd be talking about park districts. I'd be talking about conservation districts. I would be talking about mosquito abatement districts. I'd be talking about waterway management agencies. I would be talking about you know everything down to like animal control. The information that they collect, which we pay for as taxpayers, we have to ask for it to be turned over. And we have to be pretty precise with that, but not too precise. Because if you're too precise, they won't give you the information. If you're not precise enough, they won't give you the information. The state says that, and this is the law in the state of Illinois that the these governmental bodies have five business days to respond. Is that correct? Yes, but that's but, but, not really how Brett, it plays out. Yeah. Let's talk about how this works in the real world here. Because because you know what? <laughs> you're, you're a grown-up. We're talking to grown-ups. Uh, this isn't Read Across America Day. We're not wearing the Dr. Seuss hat and, and trying to you know, educate young people on the values of literacy. We're trying to just talk about something that's relevant with regard to public information and the
3: access that the people have to it. How does this really work? In reality, it's uh, you. You put in your request. You can be as precise as you want. Um, sometimes it helps to be a little bit vague. Um, but you have to. Uh, if you're too vague, um, you're going to get dumped on with thousands of pages of material you don't want, or, or that just obscures what you're looking for. Um, but there's always ten days. So, so you get the first five. Then they get a five day extension to tell you they don't have it. And then they may produce some documents. They may not. So submitted a FOIA request, uh, it, it, in theory, it seems like a great way to, to hold um, public agencies uh, to make them accountable to the public for what they do, especially with things like spending money um, and how they've spent uh, public money. But um, really, there's just so many hurdles built in there, and there's so many um, exemptions, and uh, it can make uh, trying to get a specific piece of information from a governing body a, a nightmare. Um, so we do this uh, quite regularly. Um, our reporters are pretty skilled at this, but, uh, if you certainly, if you don't know how to do it or if you haven't done it a lot, it can be like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, so in terms of, um, Illinois's openness, I'd say we've got a long way to go. We're nowhere near states like Florida, which have some real teeth in their laws. Um, in Illinois, it's, uh, there's some protections, but, but really just not a whole lot. And I think that Illinois is a state that badly, badly needs more sunshine.
1: So, um, in this week's uh, coming Sunday read, so if you're listening to this you know, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you know, into March 14th, the uh, morning of um, Sunday, March 14th, the Sunday reads lead item will be about transparency uh, as it pertains to. Um, Sunshine Week. Um, that's that's my column. Uh, it's not always about Illinois. It's not always a lead item about Illinois. It's technically not this week uh, about Illinois, but but within that um, within uh, that column, I mean, referencing the fact of you know th- some of the things that we've done, you know, with FOIA um, and the value of of public information. I mean, um, now former House Speaker. Uh, Michael Madigan, again, not subject to to FOIA for his activity in the legislature, uh, held a lock on that job for 36 years, uh, served in the legislature, uh, for, I believe 50 or 51 years. A lot of the things that he, you know, that, that he would have had his, you know, his, his hands on, I mean, simply because of the role that he played, they weren't available to the general public. Uh, and, um. You know now, I mean it. You know, and this is ongoing. I mean, it it was one of only a handful of uh, decisions from the Biden administration to to maintain uh, the the Department of Justice investigation team that's looking into Michael Madigan. That that team is staying intact, whereas it's tradition that they get swapped out. Uh, It's John Lausch, who's actually an Illinoisan. He's from Joliet. Um, Continuing to continuing to move forward. In in I'm speaking specifically to the to the uh, to the Comed. a bribery case which already has been settled in in uh in 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 federal court um so the importance of being able to spot check government officials um and not not necessarily you know just at the you know at, at the state legislative level or the governor's office um, but to spot check you know your 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 local uh, city council, you know, your local school board, your uh, local uh, fire board um, to see how the money is being spent to see what the activity is. I mean, this is not available to the general public in some open forum. and it's where a tremendous amount of time for legitimate straight news focused reporters is invested. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's no reward. Other times, there are rewards.
3: Yeah, it can definitely be um, a long process, it can be a slow process. Um, I'd like to see more ag- advocacy around the issue, um, especially in Illinois. Um, I, there are some uh, media groups that, that I think could be you know, more outspoken about this issue. Um, and I, I'd love to see that happen. But um, until I think the, the legislature really gets behind this or until the voters demand more transparency, I don't think that we're going to get much better than we have it now. Yeah, and, and that's sad to me. I agree with you.
1: Well, Brett, I appreciate you filling in for uh, executive editor Dan McCaleb. Dan, uh, not able to make it today. I know you got called into this in the last uh, last few minutes. I want to say thanks uh, for uh, coming in and representing
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: For Brett Rowland, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast crosstalk segment powered by the Center Square here in Illinois. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next
0: week, the Illinois legislature continues remote hearings on budget issues, proposed legislation, and other matters. The state will also be a full year into the COVID-19 pandemic with no clarity from the governor on when the state will see restrictions on businesses and capacities lifted. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.